few weeks ago, Bobby Lashley looked right into the camera, and he professed his undying love for his sisters, but something didn't smell right. So could you please just explain, first of all, just explain why, growing up, you had to carry this broom around everywhere you went. Well, when we were younger, Bobby was mean to all of us. And for some reason, he loved to pick on me. And as a woman, young woman, I couldn't defend myself. So I grabbed the closest thing to me, my mama's broom. And I used it to swat that snarling little menace away from me. Wow. Thank you for sharing. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Waiting the mic. John Pollock, waiting, rewind a raw. Welcome to the show. Lots to talk about. Way. What's up? Oh, you're keeping it brief. You're not even no hello, nothing. Like you want to just get get right to it. I feel we exchange our pleasantries before the show. Yeah, you're yeah. always very kind. You always, you know, I text you. You open the door. Do you know you have two bunnies that are just outside on your s- street? You're kidding. Two of them. Yeah. Oh my god. I don't. I mean, I don't think bunnies are supposed to be in the wild. These are bunnies. Here. These are not. Uh... So somebody must have lost them. Oh man, man. Yeah, I've, I've never seen a wild rabbit in my neighborhood. So, oh, these uh, are full out Easter bunnies. Man, that's too bad. They look adorable. Well, I hope. I hope, should we take them in? I hope they're safe. I mean, um, I would you even be able to right now? I'd be worried about touching it. I have a re- really weird thing about stray animals. I yeah, just don't know what might be. Yeah, uh, let's just dangerous. Or let's not. just uh, send good vibes. That's about as much as I'm willing to do for this. What are your thoughts on SmackDown reportedly hopping to a new network? Oh, I, I could see your mind working for that one. Got to keep it going. Big, big news coming out of the television world on today is Monday mm-hmm. that Fox looks to be picking up the free agent series that is SmackDown. Yeah. Uh, this was reported um, by ESPN, The Rap. And then the Hollywood Reporter, all having uh, various details. The Coles notes, not Michael, uh, are that SmackDown looks to be moving to Friday nights at the conclusion of this deal, which expires October of 2019. It would move. This is a deal for five years. Over the life of this deal, over a billion dollars mm-hmm. for SmackDown, which translates to $205 million a year, which is in the neighborhood of... Probably like four times what USA Network was paying for just SmackDown. Mm -hmm. It's an incredible deal. Yeah. On Big Fox. This is not FS1. Mm-hmm. Big Fox. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, to add on, onto that story. We're going to be hanging out every Friday night. Well, I'm so excited. I mean, that 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 in itself is probably the biggest ramification of this. Is, it's that for the next five years, my Fridays will pretty much be gone. And uh, if you're a devoted wrestling fan and a fan of SmackDowns, uh, yours might be as well. So uh, I think I'm this excited. Is, this is big news for all of us. Uh, but, you know, really, uh, we talked about it briefly in our uh, post-production update for uh, uh, some of our patrons on uh, Thursday when the other news came out about Raw's new deal with NBC Universal. I think when that news came out, uh, you know, we, we knew that 
you know, the, the Raw deal in itself was already a great deal for the WWE. It, we, I think, all wondered, you know, is SmackDown going to do nearly as good? Uh, because it is has always been the B show. Well, it probably did the best that it possibly could have, you know, given the circumstances. Like given- For a show that theoretically that story, whether you want to surmise that that story was out there um, to kind of pump up the WWE's domestic rights package, get the knowledge out there that SmackDown's available. Your sent- USA Network and NBC Universal were essentially wiping their hands of SmackDown. Yeah, it's like we're stepping away from this. So you want the A show, but little did they know by giving up SmackDown, they've let somebody take SmackDown and and in essence turn SmackDown into the A show. I I think that. We're talking about so much money now. I think the idea of the A show, B show, like these are both massive priority shows. Yes. Huge priorities. Mm -hmm. Both of them uh, of equal, if not, um, you know, looking at a show that is now on network television, like a big network. This isn't like UPN on Fox. Viewership is in without even doing anything. Viewership is going to increase even with the move to Friday nights. Mm -hmm. Um, much like the UFC gaining all of that in-house promotion from ESPN with their deal, SmackDown inherits that with the Fox juggernaut of the promotion you're going to receive mm-hmm. uh, within that family. And there's still there's so many questions because um, Fox and WWE are obviously not comment, commenting on this at the moment, but you have to ask the question, is this going to be a live show? Which I would think it has to be, given how much money is being spent on this. Mm-hmm. Um how does this affect their touring schedules? Does it open up an, uh, you know, if if they do move production from a Friday to a Monday schedule, does that open up space on a Saturday for them to, you know, use their crews to shoot something because they're, they're already on the road? That's one thing that you have to, because that's the bigger thing. It's not so much the fact that, you know, could we do a live show on a Friday? Of course you could. It's keeping your production team on the road for two extra days, which but, is but, a minimal cost when you're talking 205 million yeah, a year. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Like that could be something where they look at, do we move our schedule to Friday nights, Saturday, we could do a block of, you know, two to three episodes of 205 Live. Could we, there's, there's, there's a million options. It, some, it is very doable. Well, if there's something we've learned from all this, it's that, the the uh, appetite for content is very big right now, and there are a lot of people that are willing to pay a lot of money for content. At the very least, even you know to to draw attraction onto their own network. At the very least, so uh, if I guess if you're a camera person or any type of production person or a wrestler within the WWE, there's probably no shortage of of work to be had coming up. Yeah, some of these. Uh, wrestlers, maybe they want to pick up some side work because they're not seeing a penny of this, by the way. Well, uh, just like yes. the raw deal. The thing is, though, I mean, it does benefit everybody involved in the company. Like, I think for all the people that are perhaps a little concerned about being on the chopping block, I, f- that I feel there's far less incentive right now for a company to chop anybody off their block because they probably want to create more content and they can, it's chump change. You know, somebody who is not of that much value, it's chump change. Yeah. Make, make no mistake, this contract. Uh, negotiation period has been it is a transformative one for the company Mm -hmm. it is for the industry to put it into perspective like their 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 total rights just for raw and smackdown domestically is probably going to be in the neighborhood of 450 million plus they made a total 
Their entire company brought in 800 million last year. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking 450 million for the domestic rights. Yeah, so that's not including international. No, not including the deals that are still to come with the UK Mm -hmm. and India, the 10-year deal they're in the middle of in Canada, Mm -hmm. all their other revenue streams. The network, merchandising, live events. It's not even including any of that. No, they like this is going to greatly, greatly Mm -hmm. increase profitability with minimal added expenses. I mean, yeah, we might be sending our crews on the road more, like there will be some inherent expenses, but minimal in comparison to what you're taking it like this is largely just profit yeah this has like huge ramifications i think with everything like with the knowledge that they have this much money right now i mean i feel like anybody that they can possibly think about getting they can afford if they wanted they were already in that position talent wise they can get whoever they want they're at they're at such a bigger level now Mm -hmm. though and such a larger exposure that's one of the things that was kind of I don't want to say like glossed over, but wasn't made a big deal of on Monday was the fact that there was an unknown bidder that bid more for SmackDown than what Fox did. And given the fact that they opted to go with Fox, I mean, I I think you would assume it would be a streaming service because the Variety story had mentioned Amazon and I think it was Facebook in in there, Mm -hmm. which you would have to look at that. Yes, we may be making more But what is our exposure level as compared to Big Fox? Yes. I would take a drastically, not drastic, but a significant less amount of money to be on Big Fox just Mm -hmm. because of the opportunities there. And what kind of advertising share is there, if any, with Fox? Mm -hmm. Um, There's so many deal points that are still questions because the report is kind of just the bare bones of the deal. But we know the figure, it's enormous, and it puts... The WWE as a company just into a different stratosphere from a profitability standpoint. Yeah. And also, like... The stock closed at what today? 58? It was... Or 50... I think it was around 54. 54. Like record high. Yeah. But it's just amazing to think about when this network, when the network was first their idea, it was was spawned upon when, when Spike TV had largely said, now we're taking ourselves away from this. Mm -hmm. And it was Vince McMahon thinking, we need to build something... That is our last ditch resort if we Mm -hmm. ever need it. And here you are all these years later. The WWE Network is certainly a priority for them, but it's not this thing that has to make it, that they have this pressure that it's got to get to a certain level. Mm -mm. They're just, it's a nice little thing that they can make more money on in a whole separate business. Mm -hmm. Like they can still drive people to the network. And now they have network television to send people to the network. It's, It's unfathomable. It really is, uh, and I think it'll be remain to be seen exactly how they will treat the new model of, you know, uh, network. Do we use television to continue to build to the network? We had a brief discussion about this on Thursday. You know, do they keep that? Uh, in, in Is the priority now the network pay-per-view, or is it the television show? Well, that's when, – when you're an, a broadcaster spending this level of money, you're expecting to be getting top – quality like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> i just laugh because because of what we saw tonight well there you go that this is our first i mean forward. let's not honestly do you think shows like the segments like we saw tonight will be a thing of the past when it comes you know october of 2019 i certainly don't think so. no no i don't no. think you're gonna the get quality a... of a show will be what it is but it, it, it is a different mindset where 
when you think about, say, three years from now, when they're making this amount of money off television, mm -hmm. why are we not putting Brock Lesnar on television? If yeah. I'm an executive at Fox and I'm saying, why isn't Brock Lesnar wrestling mm -hmm. on my network? That's a question you have to answer. For the Absolutely. WWE's perspective, this is guaranteed money. Yeah. We just have to maintain, and then we can send people to the network to spend even more money mm -hmm. on that. There's mm -hmm. no ceiling to what we can make on the network. So I don't see them necessarily changing that. This is also a very rigid company when it comes to the way in which they present television and how they build towards 30-day peak events. But let's use that example, though. Brock Lesnar is on every single edition of Raw because they can afford it. Well, what makes him so special on a pay-per-view that yeah. I'm going to watch that? But I, I could see, you know, one-offs on television. Maybe he does wrestle three times a year on television. Mm -hmm. I'm certain that Ronda Rousey will Thing at some is, point. though, like, I mean, Fox, NBC Universal, they're paying for what they're currently seeing on TV. Like, they're paying for the current iteration of Raw and SmackDown. Assumed, I'm assumed to be the same quality as it is. So if you're the WWE... It's not like you have to do that much more if you didn't really want to. You certainly have to maintain. I think there's probably pressure to maintain that viewership. Um, they're they're paying they, for two numbers that come out Tuesday at 4 p.m. Mm -hmm. and Wednesday at 4 p.m. They are paying for those numbers. Yes. They are not combing through the content here. And I know that there's a concern from people that, well, this completely uh, gives no incentive for this company to, you know, tighten up storytelling, to create stars. You're right. Like there's there is an unbelievable cushion now that you are not privy to uh, the lifeblood of your business being big matchups, big stars, um, great storytelling. There there's little incentive for that other than a pressure to maintain an audience that this these broadcasters are paying for mm -hmm. and not wanting to see a declining product and a surefire way to increase that audience, build upon that audience and create new fans is still through star power. Absolutely. I think that, you know, you have a transformative figure that comes along. That's great for your business. So I still feel that there is, there is that desire, but it's not something that you're live, living. It's a life and death kind of proposition where mm -hmm. you're without a star and suddenly you're you're in a panic mode yes you yes. have cushioned yourselves from any issues i'm really curious to see like what the effects are of a story like this on the perception of pro wrestling as a whole in the mainstream you know like this is a big deal that i think is making headlines at a variety of mainstream sources i mean I think for a long time now, like you can, you have to look at professional wrestling as something a lot more than maybe the uh, the reputation that it's always had as a poor man's form of entertainment. It clearly isn't anymore. Uh, obviously, it wasn't a long time ago, but now I think even more so. So, how do the rest of uh, the professional wrestling industry, even outside of the WWE, get affected by something like this? How does this affect the indies? How does this affect you know? All the, uh, uh, something like a pro wrestling tease. How does, it, how does it affect all the podcasts out there? I think that I really feel it's a case of, of two different worlds. Like there is a, there is a focus that to the, the advertiser that is out there wrestling is WWE and it's Vince McMahon. Yeah. And maybe it's interesting if you look at the fact that here is, you know, a theoretical streaming service like an Amazon or Facebook who made this in enormous bid do they have an appetite for wrestling or do they have an appetite for WWE? Well, I would say even with the WWE, if you're trying to acquire new fans through something like a Fox deal, that trickles down eventually. It trickles down. If somebody becomes a fan of SmackDown, for instance, and if they really like it, they will trickle down to the indies eventually. They will trickle down to you know the Observer and they will trickle down to podcasts like these. Does this grow 
the base of wrestling fans that that there can be right now? Well, I mentioned this on our video that if I'm a streaming service, professional wrestling is a very attractive option because mm-hmm. I'm not concerned about picking up this property that I cannot sell to advertisers, that it is not uh, attractive to the advertising community because advertising isn't my primary revenue source. Straight up subscribers are. And if I have a belief that wrestling fans are going to be creatures of habit and are going to come to my service and they will pay $5 a month to watch an Impact Wrestling or name your independent promotion, that becomes attractive to me. And when you have a plethora of these streaming services that are all competing for people to subscribe, pro wrestling is something that is out there that non-WWE wrestling is relatively cheap programming with the potential for uh, an adequate audience base that mm. that may follow it. So it, I, I could see a streaming service looking at, you know, kind is of that the B new- or C level pro wrestling as being attractive. Is that the new game now? Like in the past several years, it seems like every wrestling promotion has gone the route of starting their own streaming service. Is the game now to instead look for people that are going to buy your content to put on their own streaming service? I think that is going to be the game. I mean, it's it's great that all of these promotions have their own small streaming services, but when an ESPN Plus comes along and wants to look what they they've essentially eaten up a significant amount of Fight Pass. Like mm. UFC has has mortgaged a big part of Fight Pass. Unless you're one of those people that want Fight Pass to go watch Pancray shows and Invicta. If you're just a UFC fan, you can now get all the past UFC events on Fight Pass through ESPN Plus. Mm-hmm. So UFC was looking at it, hey, this deal makes a lot of sense for us with the millions and millions they're paying that hey, if you're Impact Wrestling, let's let's throw out the fact that this this unknown bidder was offering more than 205 million a year. If they went to Impact Wrestling with 10% of that bid, oh, they're landing Impact. Yes, definitely. Oh, I, I can't say for sure, but I mean, that it looks good for Impact. 20, 10% yeah. of yeah. 20 205 like, million. Yeah, that's 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 promotion. That's transformative money for Impact Wrestling. Anthem, absolutely yes. So if if you're a streaming service that is kind of doing your due diligence about professional wrestling, maybe you you can find a cheaper buy. That was Mm. Spike's inroad to Impact back in 2005. So you can't completely negate it. And there's also the part that they may say, well, WWE is what we're interested in. This Mm -hmm. is not pro wrestling that we are going after. It is WWE. They are the giant and that's who we want to be in business with. It's the same reason the UFC is going to get so much interest and um, the PFL is, is not. Mm. So a huge story. Um, We will definitely be following this and it will be very curious to see kind of the rollout. Um, by the WWE as well about formally announcing this. Enjoy your Fridays, everybody, until uh, for the October of 2019, at least. Yes. Should we get into Raw? Yes. Uh, anything else from your weekend, though? My weekend? Um, oh, I, I watched Deadpool. How was Deadpool? It was fun. Yeah, yeah a lot of fun. As uh, good as the first one? As fun as the original, yes, I would say so. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Was the closing credit scene, was it really memorable? Yes, it was. Wow. Did you you haven't seen it yet? No, I have not seen it yet. We'll 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 save it for people. I went on a bit it. of a kick this weekend though. I watched Did you? I watched Thor. Wow. And I rewatched Iron Man. Damn. Yeah. You're obsessed now. Yeah. Great. My wife was like, You're really on to this Marvel stuff. I'm like, it's Way's fault. <laughs> it's everybody's fault, really. Like, don't blame me, blame other people. Thank you everybody for your uh, kindness. I, I didn't hate Thor. Thor was okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's, I guess that's kind of most, it's kind of, I, I guess, bottom third. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't I, Everyone I, I shits don't really... on the, the second Thor movie, yeah. which I'm kind of apprehensive to you watch. Might, you might not even hate that. I think uh, even the worst Marvel movie is not that bad of a movie. But yeah. uh, This one wasn't great, but it was, you know, it was fine for the, two hours. The bar has been raised. Iron Man's still very good. Yes, it is. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Let's get to the okay, next one. Okay, okay, raw. From Albany, New York. I was corrected because I guess last week I called it Albany. It is Albany. Like like all in. Got it. Albany. Albany. Tonight was going to be built around the contract signing involving Ronda Rousey and Nia Jax. And uh, did you remember this? They announced this last week. Sami Zayn was going to interview Bobby Lashley's sisters on this show. I did remember. Yeah. Yeah. Kurt Angle comes out to start the show and he says Raw has been on a roll lately. We just got bank. And he announces that Ronda's here. I mean, Kurt Angle and Paige. Paige really deserves a raise, I would I think say. they both. They both got raises for their shows. I mean, landing the roster that she landed and getting this huge bump in, in uh, rights fees, really, she deserves a promotion. Can I just say, when Kurt Angle is eventually replaced as GM, I think that's the time to debut George Barrios as an on-screen character. Wow. He would be a fantastic heel character. Of course. With all his buzzwords. I yeah. just think he would be fantastic. Yeah, he would. Um... He announces Ronda's here tonight, and there will be a fatal four-way qualifying match. And just as he's about to announce who is in the match, he is interrupted by the returning Stephanie McMahon, who is on for the first time since the night after WrestleMania. She says that WrestleMania is now water under the bridge. Angle is forgiven. She talks about her leadership skills and trying to bring up Kurt to be a similar leader. And the crowd is chanting she tapped out, which she acknowledges. She took her loss much better than Ronda Rousey did. So there is that going for Stephanie. So then she goes on to say that she will be the one presiding over the contract signing tonight. And there were a lot of boos for this over such a trivial announcement that she will preside over the contract signing. And these fans are like, no, we want Kurt to preside over this. I don't know if they wanted anybody to preside over it. When you hear, you know, Stephanie's detailed rundown in that contract sign, could you have imagined Kurt doing that? Having to remember that much. Mm. He's been doing okay lately. Yeah, he's he's been fine. He's been unnoticeable, which is good. Mm -hmm. Stephanie says that Angle has been been giving too much latitude to Roman Reigns. So then Roman comes out and he wants whatever Stephanie has to say, say it to my face. Stephanie brings up his Samoan temper, getting the best of him. And Roman might need to find a new line of work. You should quit. And Rain says that she should watch her tone or he'll go backstage and destroy all of Stephanie's favorite superstars. To which Stephanie says she doesn't have any favorites and starts bringing up revenue streams. And Roman says, revenue streams. And he brings up Stephanie's favorite revenue stream. Brock Lesnar and tells her to cut the corporate crap. Stephanie brings up how this guy did lose a qualifying match. All valid points being made by Stephanie so far. And he can go deal with Jinder Mahal. For whatever reason, Kevin Owens then was prompted to come out and he was cheered loudly here. He says that winning the briefcase at Money in the Bank would be best for business. And he admits that he likes Roman Reigns. And this turned the audience on Kevin Owens for siding with Roman. It was probably the most heelish thing uh, somebody could possibly say. I like Roman Reigns. Thought it was quite brilliant. What do you feel was the point of 
what was the desired reaction for Roman in this segment? Because he was played off of, like, the biggest heel on television is Stephanie. Mm-hmm. So they made him stand up to her. Yeah. So they're clearly going for Roman to get a positive reaction. But then you come out here, and it was Owens getting over as the heel by linking himself as Roman's buddy here. Mm-hmm. I don't know what was going on here. I don't really... Uh, I think we're... Know. Maybe we, we give more thought than they do on this I guy. can see, you know, something like saying, I like Roman Reigns being a Kevin Owens suggestion, or at least it's something maybe he embraced doing. Uh, and, you know, because if you judge by the rest of the show, Roman is still clearly very much a baby face. But they are recognizing that this crowd is booing him. I think yes. they don't have any idea of what they want. I think it changes by the character. He brings up the fact that Stephanie really doesn't play favorites because he had his issues with Vince and Shane, and yet Stephanie still brought him over to Raw. And then he places his arm on her shoulder, and Stephanie gives him the look of death. and says, don't ever do that again. Don't ever touch me, you little geek. Don't you ever forget the pecking order around here. You non-unionized worker. And Stephanie books Reigns versus Kevin Owens. That was our opening segment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we it's been a while since we've seen Stephanie. and uh, Oh, you I, should have watched the Business Summit. I oh, got my, my April fill from watching that. I think she brings a real polish to a lot of these segments that uh, you don't necessarily see from some of the performers, uh, like a Kurt Angle. Um, so I think in that sense, she adds to it. I still obviously have some issue with her uh, being king heel over all of your heels. Queen heel. Sorry, queen heel. Queen heels. Queen heel over all of your heels. But um, she, always, you know, she never forgets her here. heels when she has a, a tiny person next to her either. She's quite tall. She's very tall. Yeah. She doesn't need heels, but apparently does it, most it, times. <laughs> that's right. It, it was weird because like in this segment, she looked taller than Kurt Angle. Yes, she towered over poor Kurt. But backstage... Finn Balor was taller than her. So either Stephanie took the pumps off or... Well, she's got her favorites. Or maybe Finn Balor's got them on. Could have been. Yeah. Yes. Wouldn't be the only man dressed up as a woman on this particular nope. show. Roman and Kevin Owens had a match. Just because. They just had to have a match. We had a shoulder block that knocked Owens inside out. Owens has really perfected the art of being knocked over by shoulder blocks. Which I'm sure is not fun to be taking, but mm. he makes them look fun. Reigns is striking Owens on the turnbuckle, and Owens is constantly leaving the ring. Reigns, I I noticed this. Like, he clearly was working slower by design, and Coachman then brought it up. Um, and I don't even think this was bad. It was just, it was more, they were trying to play it off of that he is, uh, he is not being swayed by the crowd. Okay. And then Graves explains, no, he feeds off the audience regardless of whether the reaction is positive or negative. Mm, okay. I don't know. I'm trying to understand what mm-hmm. this man's motivations are. What 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 makes this man tick? So, <laughs> so because of the crowd, he might be faster or slower? Yeah, it's kind of like... Um, so if the crowd is negative, does that mean he works faster or slower? You know, Mario... Sometimes he's got the mushroom, and sometimes he has firepower. Yeah. Well, sometimes he's going to reduce himself to be small. And what, so what is Roman here? Uh, he was subdued. <laughs> he didn't have firepower. Okay. 
Owens ducked a Superman punch, landed a super kick, then went for the cannonball, but was caught with a Superman punch for a near fall. Roman calls for the spear, Owens to the floor, and then Reigns spears him on the floor, which leads to Jinder Mahal and Sunil running down, and Jinder attacked him for the DQ. 13-17, stomped on him, beat him down in the ring, Owens joined in, and then Seth Rollins ran in, which it's like, no, don't, don't take the one perfect thing that's going on Raw and, le- and let's force the audience to have to make a really tough decision. But Seth came in, made the save, fought them off to a big reaction, and this audience loved Seth more than they hated Roman Reigns. I'll say so. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. I thought this first match was really nothing special. It did feel like they were taking it easy because this was only the first half. Um you know what I really don't like is like when Kevin Owens keeps chopping Roman Reigns. And of course it never hurts Roman. Roman completely no-sells these chops because he's wearing a chest protector. Like it almost calls attention to the fact that this man is blatantly kind of cheating in every single match he, he he's having because he's wearing a chest protector. And you have the heel here repeatedly try to chop him and Roman repeatedly pretending like nothing is wrong and this doesn't hurt at all. Look at me. I have the advantage. So I don't know how that helps him at all yeah. as a baby face. Maybe it's a sense of uh, security. I mean, when you're delivering a chop to a guy's chest, everyone worries about the guy's chest, but it's going to hurt your hand after a while. Like mm-hmm. Ric Flair, I mean, probably had some callus on his hand after all those times. That so You have a nice chest protector to land your hand on. You might just like the the, oh, so he's the do- cushioning. He's doing this for the sake of his opponents, you're saying? Yeah, for his own, it, you know, it's uh, it generates a loud noise. doesn't hurt. Mm. Maybe a little trickles to the chest. I'll tell you, though, it would be weird if he did sell a, a chop, like, despite wearing a chest protector. Yeah. It was, <laughs> I remember a match with Kane, and I think it was Jim Ross who was, who was noting uh, the look on Kane's face. I was like, no one can see his face. <laughs> Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins, this was an impromptu tag match made during the break, taking on Kevin Owens and Jinder Mahal. They had the advantage on Roman Reigns for the entire first hour of Raw. They finally built up to a big hot tag, and it was a hot tag to Rollins. Uh, Clotheslines Mahal to the floor. Owens and trips Rollins, but then he comes back and hits suicide dives on opposite ends of the ring to both. Stomps his foot. Big burn it down chant. When Sunil gets on the apron, this distracts him temporarily, and Mahal hits a gut buster. Rollins and blocks to Coloss. Owens catches him with his own blockbuster, uh, gut buster with a flying elbow off the turnbuckle. And then Reigns returns. He hits a Samoan drop. Owens uh, rolls out of a stomp. And then Rollins just readjusts and rebuilds and reclaims the stomp, sending Owens' face into the mat. And on his second try, Rollins hits the stomp, pins him at 1351. Very big pop for Rollins' pinfall win. And then Rollins and Reigns shake hands and hug. Oh, yeah. They're best buds. I would have been really, uh, I would have been more risk averse here. Really? Seth Rollins has just, he's clicking. He's a baby face on this show. The God, do they need one. Do I really want to put him in this gray zone and make him the best friend of right, Roman. Right. And I watch this, and I really feel strongly that Rollins should be the guy to go for Brock's title, and I think that should necessitate Roman's turn. Yeah, that's, that's I think, I think any way that they can go about Roman turning will be a positive, but that, I think that's a great idea. It's uh, very similar to what most expect with Ronda Rousey and Natalia, but I feel you can tell those stories differently, even though the 
the premise is similar. Yeah. But I like the idea of Rollins is the one who is, he's got the target for Brock and Roman is jealous because he wants to be the one to beat Brock. Listen, they can have Roman just decide, you know, mid-match, I'm a heel now, and he turns it's heel. Hey, I think it'd fuck be y'all. A drastic improvement, but uh, I like that, sure. Uh, Rollins certainly feels like a top star right now. He continues, you know, with this match to deliver some show-stealing performances. I thought this. I think ca- he's the top babyface on either brand, and I can't believe I'm saying that yeah. with Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles. I think mm-hmm. he's... I think he's the number one guy going in this company consistently right now. At this moment, yes. And the reactions he is getting from city to city, they're tremendous. Yeah. I I think it was just a... I, I can't even pinpoint what the turning point was, but it has been I, over these past three months. To me, I feel like it was the, the Iron Man performance in the uh, gauntlet match. Uh, but maybe it was even earlier than that. He's We're just, getting a gauntlet next week with the women. Oh, maybe we'll see. Maybe Dana Brooks can have her moment. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I thought the finish here was really great, very spectacular, in particular here between Rollins and Owens. Um, I think Roman and Owens did a really good job building up to that hot tag, and that crowd reacted fantastically. They're walking up the ramp, Rollins and Reigns, when Jinder returns. As they said, it's easy to forget about Jinder, and he takes out both with chair shots, knocks Rollins off the stage, and continued to attack Reigns. And they ended the segment by playing Roman's music, as the two stood up and limped to the back. And later in the show, they confirmed it will be Roman Reigns versus Jinder Mahal at the All-State Arena. We'll see how far they go with Seth Rollins here, uh, because, you know, she he could just very well be the best friend, the sidekick to Roman Reigns and all this. The man who is the leader of the Intercontinental He's Division. New Jack? What? Denzel's best friend? Sure. Yes, that's right. Yes. Uh, he is... Um, you know, he's the king of the intercontinental division, but really the main character of the show, the man who is still being focused on is still Roman Reigns. And Seth Rollins doesn't have anything at Money in the Bank yet. Probably nice. Isn't he, is he not in the match? Oh, he says he, he didn't want to be yeah. in the match. Yeah, yeah he so. doesn't have, and there's no program set for him at the moment. I mean, if anything, it's... We still have time, though. Yeah, we got a month. Yeah. Um, um, they could just do a open challenge. or yeah, they, they could do many things. So this Roman versus gender match is now official in Chicago. And I I mean, to me, that is one of the, the hooks of watching the show is to see how Chicago will react to seeing these two in the ring. They better have some tricks up their sleeve in order to prevent some mass rioting. Maybe maybe as the crowd's rioting, they'll just on the Titantron just flash. 450 million. <laughs> That's 450 right. million yes. with yeah. middle fingers yeah, exactly. and Vince laughing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They replayed, uh, I'm using air quotes, uh, the highlights of Bobby Lashley's interview with Renee about his sister, which amazingly was weirder this time than the original. Mm, creepier. Very. Sami Zayn comes out for his funeral. He says that Lashley's interview wasn't accurate. He's going to expose his lies tonight. And he brings out Kathy, Francis, and Jessica. Who are three men dressed in drag? Oh, to which way we scoffed, scoffed at my guess last man, week. Man, I feel like I should replay last week's clip. Like you, you tw- didn't even give it, dude. You thought, and listen, I thought to myself too after. It's like you're right; they're not going to do like in 2018. It's kind of toned up. 2018, uh, women's revolution. Finn Balor wearing that Balor Club is for everybody shirt. They will not go the track direction, will they? 
What I liked about this segment was that not only was it so awful, but it was if you chose to be offended by this, there are multiple groups out there that could be offended. It's not just one. Dude, I'm not even offended. Like, seriously, like to me, it's like this is just shit. Like it was just pure shit. I'm offended because of how bad it was. But but I'll say like. It, we're talking about what, you know, something like this will do, uh, the NBC or whatever deal will do for the perception of professional wrestling in the mainstream. Wrestling really has a chance right now of elevating itself from being, like I said, a poor man's form of entertainment. This just drags it right back down and reconfirms. <laughs> yes. And reconfirms, you know, this is a lowbrow form of entertainment. This was, this was lowest common denominator shit. Um that, again, they announced it last week, and I don't know when they came up with this idea, but a part of me hopes it was mid-afternoon and not a week of they must, this was their week. They must have come up with it when they did that interview. Initially. Oh, I don't know about that. What do you think that interview initially was set set up for? Uh, if if this was the idea three weeks ago to culminate in three men in drag... I simply can't think about what else that interview could have led to but this. I could very well see them putting that interview and saying, yeah, well... <laughs> They have a loose idea. I, I, we'll figure it out as we go along. I really doubt it, but... <laughs> oh, my God. Three weeks in the making. Um, I commend Sami Zayn, who clearly watched a lot of Phil Donahue to study his reactions, where you repeat the last uh, words stated by the person being interviewed. Uh, Kathy had a broom. What was so unbelievable was the utter silence from this audience mm-hmm. who just sat on their hands and gasped in horror at Sami Zayn trying to interview three broomsticks that had nothing to say, that had no character, that had no even inflection in what they were saying. I don't even know what where to recap any of this. Like, Do your best. Do Zayn your best. was just trying to keep this alive. We had Francis bring up that the parents hated Bobby and shift, shipped him off to reform school. Everybody was holding a prop. Yeah, so we, Kathy had yeah, the, the helmet, the broom, and the towel. Yes. Um, Lashley finally interrupted this, and he comes out, and he's just all smiles. Yeah, so they all spend the, their their segments talking about Bobby in the past and what a terrible person he is. Yes. Okay, let me ask you this, okay? You and I have an argument, okay? Yeah. And then you you go on to Facebook, okay? And I'm on Facebook Live, way. Uh-huh. And me getting back at you, I've said that I'm going to interview your brothers, way. And they're going to expose you. Mm-hmm. And you turn on Facebook Live. And I've got I've got two women that are dressed as your brothers. <laughs> Tell me how compelled you would be to stop me. Um, you would just sit back and like watch me die a death yeah. here on 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 Facebook I, Live. I would not be at all compelled. I'd, I'd come Would you out, be offended by this? I'd probably come out bursting laughing, like just like Bobby Lashley. <laughs> I did. guess. Maybe that was the, the impetus here for, for Lashley to come out. Graves compared Zane to Maury Povich. Lashley starts making fun of Kathy. So this was weird. Like, is he like half making fun of his sisters, half making fun of these actors? I'm trying to get into his head here. He's joining in on the joke. So he can't believe Kathy's still single. He called Jessica's dress fabulous while trying to lift the skirt she was wearing. And then made fun of Francis for having a mustache 
which this guy felt embarrassed by. It was like, you obviously, like, your mustache is there. He was, no, he was worried about Bobby what? Lashley being here and making fun of Bobby Lashley. Or was he worried that he's been discovered? <laughs> I'm not really Francis no, Lashley. I don't think so. Lashley then goes after Zayn and the sisters help. It's four on one. <laughs> Lashley beats them all up. Dude, my whole, my oh whole, my... like for me, the entertainment of this, uh, if there was any to be found, was trying to get into the head of Sami Zayn, a man who I know for, I'm, I have to assume for, you know, hates this, hates being a part of this, hated when it was introduced and... <laughs> Probably really didn't want to do it. And Dude, two weeks ago, two weeks on. ago, 13,500 people filled the Bell Center. A large portion to see this man and his best friend in Montreal. Yeah. And here we are two weeks later. Like, um, if Sami Zayn had any chance of being on any worst of lists in his entire career, this would be the year. This was the worst segment of the year. For this segment. This, to, this was worse than This Is Your Life, I thought, from last year. Yes, my favorite part, and I'm really, I'm really digging here, was Bobby taking the helmet. He placed it on one of the the guys, Francis. Francis. He places the helmet, and then he hammer fists the helmet. Yeah, so that would hurt. It's he wanted to protect the the man. I think. <laughs> Dude, Ugh. this was terrible. Then like, he snapped one with the towel as well, and then used the broom. To fly the other guy over the top. Uh, the audience amazingly did cheer Lashley when he cleared the ring. Maybe they're cheering the fact that this was over. Because um, I think it's one thing if you're going to go this direction. And if you have some incredible material that is guaranteed to make the audience laugh. They had none of that. No funny jokes. Uh, nothing just remotely clever. About any of this, it was just... There like, wasn't a line that was funny in this. It was just... A, not even a joke. Like, shitty impressions, just a dead segment. And, uh, like, it's the type of segment that makes you wonder, are they trying to test what the bottom is for this show and this audience? What is the shittiest thing that we can make our audience take? And they'll still keep coming back. And we will still prance around with our billions of dollars. Uh... Because this was that bad. Like, there was zero redeeming value from this at all. And if I'm Bobby Lashley, I mean, I'm thinking maybe I should have stayed in TNA. Are you ready for some news? Yes. All right. Courtesy of our, our friend Dave Meltzer. WWE is looking at lengthening its pay-per-views by one hour, starting with Money in the Bank. Sky Italia on Facebook posted that the Money in the Bank show would be moved to a four-hour window starting at 7 p.m. Eastern time from the previous 8 p.m. start. WWE has not responded to questions on this subject. Why not? Fuck it. Just take my whole life. Money in the bank all day long. Take 24 hours. I'll get, I will sacrifice sleep. I don't need, I don't need a life. This is my life now. I'm okay. I'll watch all the wrestling you can give me. I want more segments like this. <laughs> so this ended. Uh, oh, I this killed Lashley. You asked last week, hey, is this a make or break for Bobby Lashley? Like, how can you take him seriously after something like this? Oh, I, I don't know. I didn't know if this was worse for Lashley or Sami Zayn, to be honest. I felt Zayn was just 
put into a, such an unenviable situation. I don't think for Sammy it, it necessarily elevates or decreases his stock. He was already kind of in that jester's role, you know? But Bobby Lashley, I think the man was supposed to be, it could have been a main eventer. And uh, uh, this did him no favors. The best comedy, because there wasn't a, a high bar for it, was Cole segueing from this segment to explaining to us what the NBC upfronts are. It's where we take the show to sell the advertisers. And it happened last week. And this is where Nia challenged Ronda Rousey. I was like, that is the best pivot ever. Going from that segment to where we try to sell this shit to advertisers. Oh, yeah. I don't think Lashley's sisters will be at the next upfront. So they replayed that from the upfronts. And then Renee Young is backstage with Alexa Bliss. Up next, she's going to face Ember Moon. And Renee asks, are you concerned having lost the last time in a tag match? This was a great follow-up. Really. <laughs> Alexa said, let me tell you about 410 AD, ancient Rome. The greatest city ever was sacked by barbarian Visigoths. He, she said that the Romans would have won if it had been a fair fight. But the Visigoths had a weapon, the element of surprise. And that's what Ember Moon had the first time they met. But now she's had time to prepare and she will win just like the Romans. This had to have been like in the in the back cellar of Roman Reigns promo ideas and just never got around to being used. Oh, perhaps. After that last segment. I thought this was goddamn Dusty Rhodes in 1985. <laughs> no, I don't think so. After the Lashley segment, I thought they were going to give us a break. Okay, let us recover, please. Wrestle God, wrestle crap gods, please let us recover. Roman gods. And they hit us with this. What do you have against Visigoths? One of the worst oh, Alexa wow. Bliss promos I have ever heard. Wow. You take somebody who is an incredible talent and you give her... <laughs> I got a great idea for you, Alexa. It's for 1040 AD Rome. You're going to talk about barbarian Visigoths. All to make a point about the element of surprise. She did. Uh, I, I did think she got it wrong, though. It wasn't. It wasn't four ten after death. It was two minutes AD. <laughs> yeah, this was awful. <laughs> so Ember took on Alexa Bliss with Mickey in her corner. Mickey's got a sweet gig now. She just roams around in the corner of Alexa. That's it. They went through a break. Alexa scissored the arms of Ember. And then Mickey just gets into the ring, and the referee, Derek Moore, ejects her, so she loses her mind. Moon nails her with a right hand. Alexa gets a roll-up. Blisson attacks her shoulder, and mix, uh, Moon kicks her from the apron, eclipse, and wins this in 839. Well, I thought the match was all right. I mean, it was nice to see uh, Alexa attempt a, a bit more of a technical style, working over uh, Ember's shoulder for the most part. Uh, I thought it was an okay match, but a very strong win for Ember. You know, pinning the former champion, I think, immediately escalates her to the top of the division. Uh, so it's good to see them treating her pretty pretty effectively. Then we went to Stephanie backstage, and maybe she had just listened to our Backlash review because we got a return of a stable part of the McMahon family backstage ensemble. It was the return of the fruit basket. Oh, okay. Yes. I forgot we talked about that. We had a fruit basket next to a photo of Vince McMahon and some flowers. When Finn Balor and Braun Strowman walked in, Stephanie has taken over Kurt Angle's office, by the way, and offers him some fruit, which Braun accepts, and they want to have a match with Ziggler and McIntyre. 
and Stephanie explains they aren't partners. Both are in the ladder match. Stirs ship between the two. Books a singles match. And then Braun crushed the apple like he was Danny Hodge. And Finn looked on. And they do a slow zoom in into Finn's face. That was like... That was immediately jiffable. I'm sticking with that jiff. Uh, anyway, like you should see Finn's face here. Stephanie really just checkmated these two. They came in and she just totally turned them on each other and sent them on their way. That was kind of... This was mind games. Well, yeah, that was... It's like she Jedi had, shit. She had the mind, mind stone for, for this edition of Raw, I guess. Um, she she would have been ready for the Visigoths. Yes, I think so. Yeah, she would have slapped the Visigoths, I bet. But she did this with these two. She did it in the uh, Nia Jackson uh, Ronda segment. No Way Jose against Baron Corbin. Corbin was in control until he uh, had the, the unfortunate incident where he ran shoulder first into the steel post, reversing the momentum, as Graves described. Big boot by Jose, brief comeback until he was hit with the deep six, end of days, which is apropos for No Way Jose's main roster run. 412, and Graves said, go away, Jose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This poor guy. He had three good weeks. Well, I wonder if this feud either continues or not. Oh, I don't uh, know how it continues. Yeah, I don't really know either. If It kind of sucks for Jose to, if that's it, unless he is turning into some type of... It's your only way out of here. Uh, yeah, drug going, lord. Going drug to those, lord. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say, like, uh, in this Jose babyface run, like, they've, they've treated him as somebody who... Shows no signs of his character at all when he's in ring. It's typically how they like to treat, you know, these comedic or at least like very kind of out there gimmicks these days is to they have these very flashy, almost comical gimmicks. But in ring, they try to make them as serious as possible. And that's what Jose's been doing. I thought he, you know, these two had five minutes and they went out there trying to have the best match that they could have. So I thought, you know, they did a pretty good job. But character wise, I mean, still quite lacking for for the both of them. Um I wonder, I wonder what it means for both of them coming off of this. Really? Like, I have nowhere, like, other than the drug lord idea, I have nothing for Jose. And Baron Corbin, where does he go from here? You know, I guess he, maybe, maybe uh, uh, Seth, actually. Is this, is this win enough over uh, No Way Jose to warrant an IC title shot? How dare you get so over, Seth? You want to prove us how popular you are? Get something out of this fucking guy. I do love the drug lord idea. Every time I see this guy now, I think that's his only that's his only chance. Someone shaves his head and that starts the metamorphosis. And then in the locker room in a backstage segment where Jose's just dancing and he takes off the conga line and his best friend looks down into his gym bag. It's what's that bag? Yeah. What's that powder? That's right. That conga line was just the front this whole time. Yeah, for the, the real lines that are crossing international borders. Mm-hmm. Kurt Angle is with Chad Gable, reminiscing about Double J, Jason Jordan. Angle just plays it cool that he's been kicked out of his office by Stephanie, and now he's got no signal on his phone. Which, if you watch Kurt Angle's backstage segments, is the man's lifeblood to get through these three-hour Raws. It's talking on his phone. Angle said that management had other plans last week because he wanted to put Chad Gable into a qualifying match. It really begs the question what this guy even does now. He's got no say regarding Roman Reigns. He can't even put Chad Gable into a qualifying match. Yeah. Yeah. His balls have been chopped off. Mm -hmm. McIntyre and Ziggler walk in joking about Angle not being in the gym these days. They bring up beating Balor and Strowman. 
and they've approached Kurt fully knowing that he doesn't get to make decisions anymore. And Gable talks back to them. Ziggler says he doesn't wait around for handouts and Kurt makes a match between them before he calls Dolph a jackass after he's left. They've been uh, really kind of, um, you know, uh, continuing to establish a relationship of sorts between Gable and Angle. At the very least, they're very friendly with each other. So I wonder how that plays into either Jason Jordan's return or maybe just something involving the two of them, which I think everybody wants to see, you know, Angle and Gable. Yeah, I think that uh, we should just learn that the the DNA test is swapped out. I really feel like that that was their way out of that terrible storyline, but I don't think it would do Gable any favors either. Chad Angle. Yeah. Maybe. The B-Team has their own new theme song and Titantron video coming out with their Sharpie t-shirts, and we cut to two fans with these B-Team shirts in the front row. That oh, cool. I, I couldn't see the uh, the fertilizer, but appeared to be plants. <laughs> You think so? Uh, I can't imagine any. I don't believe they're selling these shirts yet, though they should be. I don't know how you can sell them. I the mean, B team shirts? Why not? I guess you just print them. Yeah, you just yeah. have a just slap on. Well, like I said, I think they should individually sharpie everyone if they really wanted to. They should be selling these shirts out of their trunks. Really, you should commit to the gimmick, and that's why I'm not such a big fan of the Titantron and the new theme song. I mean, it's it sounds like it's a CFO theme. It's nice. But I don't think it fits the gimmick at all. Like, their gimmick should be just completely, like, shitty everything. Like, they should make their own music. They shouldn't have a flip. Their, their Titantron should be, like, a PowerPoint. What's thing. your judgment on the CFO's theme for Moro Ranallo? Have you heard this? I have. The end of the line? I think it's all right. I think it's actually pretty good. Yeah. I, I would go so far as to say I, I think it's, like too good for an announcer yeah sure like Absolutely. i could see like an adam cole using this theme like it's a it doesn't sound like your average wrestling theme yeah like i like it i don't i can't even think of another announcer that they've man like actually custom created a theme song for i don't i'm not saying they custom created this just for moral but the fact that like cfos made it like does cole even have one i wonder if this was a theme that was Going to be used for someone and wasn't. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they I can't just, imagine they're going out of their way to make a theme. I feel like they'd probably just make a bunch of songs, and for certain guys, they just give a song. It's to. not a bad song if you haven't yeah. heard it. Like, look it up just on YouTube. It's what, like, what are the lyrics like of any uh, relation to him? No, he doesn't really have a character on television. <laughs> so I mean, you're not going to get like other the than end of the line. Is that a line? Maybe he'll start using in his calls. Uh, maybe. The Showtime doc- documentary, by the way, comes out on Friday. Yes, yes. That will be out on Friday. And there's a screening in Toronto yep. on, on Sunday that we'll be discussing. So the B team is out. Uh, before we go to the next match, they had a ad for SmackDown. They have changed uh, the lineup. It is no longer Big Cass versus Samoa Joe uh, because Cass is doing his worked knee injury after the attack last week. So now it is Daniel Bryan. You think that's all there is to that? Uh, likely. Yeah. Okay. So it's now Daniel Bryan against Jeff Hardy. The winner will face Samoa Joe in the final qualifying match. To me, it has to be Bryan, don't you think? He already lost the cast. You know, the go- cast is going to cost him this match, and they're going to have another pay per view match. Yeah, I guess so. That just felt like such a. Then why do the why do anything like why take Cass out of this at all? Like, why not just wait a week? Like, Maybe they didn't want to beat Cass. And there's so instead you're gonna be Brian. you're gonna be Brian twice. Could <laughs> they beat him once? Okay. 
I'm just saying we might be closer to seeing Joe versus uh, Brian, is what I'm saying. Yeah, maybe they'll tease that. Uh, Cole is also referring to Finn Balor now as the extraordinary man who can do extraordinary things. Fit that on a t-shirt. Yeah, okay. The B team against Brizongo. Brizongo had new t-shirts, and they have fashion violation tickets on the front, and they're red. Uh, there was a double team reverse neck breaker and Curtis Axel pinned Fandango at 142 and they were shocked they won and they celebrated at the announcer's desk and down a chair on wheels down the ramp. Best part of the segment was them riding this chair down the ramp. They had quite the celebration. Well, they were celebrating like, like uh, they're going overboard with the celebration like they had, they had just won the title. Uh, so great. I mean, eh, I, I find them just mildly entertaining, but sir, why not? Then we had the contract signing. Stephanie McMahon is in the ring and calls it the challenge heard round the world last week. And calls Ronda one of the biggest box office attractions in the world. And first she introduces the irresistible force, Nia Jax. And then Ronda comes out, says hi to Stephanie and asks how her arm is doing. And Stephanie says it's Wait, doing really well. So Nia is the ir- irresistible force. And who's the immovable object? Wouldn't that be the he- bigger person? Um, well, there, the, Rhonda was not identified as the immovable object, which really wouldn't fit her. No, it fits Naya more, but I guess you can't really, you shouldn't really call somebody an immovable object. Stephanie, uh, then sits them down and just starts playing the two off of one another. She asks Rhonda about how she feels leapfrogging everyone. She explains, well, Naya challenged me. Stephanie thinks Naya is trying to make a name for herself because Ronda has never had a singles match, and she is ripe for the picking. And she came from a world of bantamweights and flyweights, but there's no weight divisions here. I guess she wasn't aware that uh, Ronda actually fought at featherweight when she started. She never did fight at flyweight. That would be a division lower. But she says no weight divisions here. She's more powerful than Nia. And knows you don't like to lose very much. And knows that if she can beat Ronda, Ronda will just tuck tail and leave, making Naya the baddest woman on the planet. Stephanie then asks why it took Naya so long to beat Alexa, who's so small. What an unnecessary line to put in here. I was thinking that, though, like watching that match. Like, it took Nia Jax a really long time to win that match. But why would so, you call that out? I mean, it just, it yeah. buries Alexa, it buries Nia. I think it buries their own booking, really. But, I mean, it makes it makes use of their bad booking, I suppose. Yeah, it's like, I understand the role Stephanie is playing here to yeah. play the two off of each other. Mm-hmm. But I just thought the way it was done, it was like, you took this match and it's against, like, a champion that's not all that great against this woman who's never had a singles match. And it's almost like you downgraded the match here by just Mm. having Stephanie, Stephanie go with all this and the two didn't get their comebacks in. They didn't get to justify and talk back to Stephanie. It was kind of, that's how it was left. Stephanie is certainly the overarching villain here, controlling everybody. She's, she's pulling the strings for both of these two. So, to me, it feels like she's the ultimate bad guy that Ronda has to get to after this feud. So I think you need to establish her as somebody who's pulling the strings and 
you know, ultimately the person that Rhonda needs to, to be after Naya. She then calls Naya um, and says that Rhonda knows that she's lazy and asks if Rhonda can even apply the armbar onto Naya because she's so big. And Naya grabs the microphone and says, no, Rhonda can't get the armbar on me. And I'm sick of hearing about that lazy crap. And she's Who's gonna, been saying that? Nobody. But okay, sure. Uh, so she's going to beat her at Money in the Bank, signs the contract, and Rhonda's glad that the truth has come out. Offers her hand, they shake hands, and says, I'm going to take your title and your arm. As they had a stare down. And they're billing this as the biggest Raw Women's Championship match ever. Is there some truth to that? With the level of star power attached to Ronda Rousey? Um, in terms of just general interest, this match will Justifiable. Have. Do you sure. think this main event? I think that's another question. No. Above what is it? What are we talking about? For Probably the, the money. The one of the money in the bank matches. Or Nakamura AJ. Yeah. Or Brock and perhaps... Brock won't be on the show. Brock won't be... Oh, Money in the Bank, no. Not at Money in the Bank. I mean, I can't say for sure that Ronda versus Nia Jax wouldn't main event something like that. Depends what they do. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. They could if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like in order to keep Ronda a big deal... You better almost... have a pretty satisfactory finish, though, to this match, and well, I think that this match is one where you're going to kind of be booking your way out of... Yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't see how, though. Like, to me, the finish is Ronda armbar. That's it. You know, make it exciting, sure, but Ronda has to win coming off of this. Oh, I don't I don't know about that. Well, we shall see. Especially uh, if Stephanie's involved. I mean, don't... Okay, true. That's true. Uh, I'll say the segment I felt was probably far from perfect, uh, but it was way better than their terrible segment that they did at the upfronts. Do it. <laughs> Do it. To me, like, a segment like this, you know, had clear signs of production and rehearsal behind it. Uh, I thought Rhonda's delivery was good. Naya, when she had to speak, was good. Uh, Rhonda's, you know, um, just facial expressions as she's acting, I think, were good, too. Naya's, eh, maybe a little obvious. But I felt this segment felt way more polished than their others. I thought it was a segment that needed somebody like Stephanie to carry. She essentially acted you know, as a manager of sorts for both women here. And these two just largely had to react. So, I mean, um, overall, I would say this turned out fine. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like what they did with Nia here, positioning her, her uh, kind of having more of like the kind of the heel dynamic here to Rhonda, but it is jarring, like how obvious it is that this plan kind of came together so quickly because it was what, two weeks ago, we're listening to UBU. Don't change yourself for anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. this, this, that was terrible. Oh man. It was awful. But I mean, that was the, the character direction of Naya. They mm. were going so hard with this, this empowered Naya Jax. And it just seems that that's kind of been discarded because mm. they've come up with an, an idea. Well, the, in the match, she has to be a heel. I mean, we saw how it turned out when she wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, though, I, her characterization here was was that she was being manip- manipulated by stuff. So she is still supposed to be a babyface. Yeah, well, that was a common trait, I thought, on this show of babyfaces being manipulated by Stephanie. And it went up and down the whole show here. Finn, Braun, Nia, Kevin Owens. I mean, it was just like... I don't know. Yeah. Stephanie had a very heavy presence on this show, and she's a tra- she's a fantastic performer. I thought she was very effective. Like I thought you needed her for for this segment. 
for this segment you did, and I think probably where this is headed, you would assume that that Stephanie is going to have some involvement in this match. Mm -hmm. So uh, you're right. Like there was no one else that could pull off this specific role. Dolph Ziggler and Chad Gable. Uh, I thought this was a very good match, but one the audience just had no interest in. They joined this in progress coming back from the break, so they didn't get entrances or anything. Gable was out wrestling Ziggler, and then he landed an elbow to the jaw and a drop kick, which I thought was kind of... They were doing this like... You know, like this wrestling match, and then it was Ziggler who resorted to the cheap shot. Yeah, it was really nice. It was like, it was showing off that, you know, Gable, as the Olympian, is better than Dolph Ziggler, whose highest level of achievement was, what, uh, All-American or hmm. Kent State, Cap- whatever, Hall of Famer? Sure, whatever. But the Olympian, supposed and the younger Olympian at that, should beat him every time. And he's really not pushed as an Olympian. Like, they never... Well, that's the thing. Like, I'm watching Gable wrestle here, and his amateur wrestling style is so fluid, it's so beautiful to watch in a professional wrestling setting. If they really wanted to, they could push him like, you know, Zack Sabre Jr., like a guy who's small but through incredible technique is able to make up for that. In the WWE, it's just... It doesn't seem to be something they seem to want to do, unfortunately. Uh, Ziggler had a reverse neck breaker, missed him in the corner. Gable landed a bridging German and then Ziggler landed a headbutt out of the ropes and super kicked him to win in 438. So I really liked the match. It was just a dead crowd for it. I mean, WWE, this is Chad Gable's audition for 205 Live. (laughs) I guess so. Like WWE crowds aren't really conditioned to, they're not pushing this guy as this kind of world beater with an incredibly interesting style of wrestling so fans aren't going to take to him at all on top of that like you're basically treating gable like another jobber on this roster with a post-match beat down here drew just laid him out with the claymore kick yep do you think that this could lead to to jason jordan coming back and he's paired with gable i mean i think or is that too low of a spot for jason jordan to come back to like that's a real preliminary tag team I think the, you know, with the two of them being on the same brand, I think you you have to look at an an inevitable feud between Gable and Jordan, right? And I think a good way to reheat that up is to introduce them as a team again. So, yes. Superstar facts. Xavier Woods. He's got a PhD. Yeah. So, I guess they just do this for the people on the other brand. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Dana Brooke, Liv Morgan, Sarah Logan, and Natalia in our Fatal 4-Way Money in the Bank qualifying match. Jonathan Coachman asks, how is this fair? Because Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan are teammates. Oh, God. (laughs) This was terrible. Graves says, what do you mean? There's two of them and two of the others. Cole says, it's every woman for herself. So Coachman goes, exactly. So it's two on one on one. (laughs) That makes no sense, Coach. And Coachman just, like, petered out. This is my candidate for the worst called match of the year. This was so atrociously bad with these three that if I was any of these women that went back to watch this, I would be furious. They were so awful in this this match. This made me wish that I knew Spanish so that I could hit SAP. And listen to alternate commentary instead. Like, Coach, after that, spent the entirety of this match 
trying to explain what he actually meant, trying to save himself. Like I, I kind of get on, you know, Cole and Graves sometimes for for jumping on Cole, Coach for too much. Some cases they really have to, and and one of those was was one like this. But either way, like this isn't working. This is worse than Booker. This is so, way worse. Coachman makes a lot of stupid points, and he's there as the punching bag, and it just. It brings out the worst in Cole and the worst in Corey Graves. This this team would be infinitely better with just the two and no coach. I'll tell you what makes coach even worse than Booker is that like I think the, the coach and Booker make stupid points. But coach is worse because he he feels proud of his bad points. He will talk and he will try to talk over somebody thinking that he's got a really witty thing to say when and then he says it and it's just like what do you mean? You know, like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's awful. He like I just, hate, he needs to I hate get these out of three there. together. It is the triangle of death. Logan laid out Natalia with a running knee. Brooks, Brooke made the save. Morgan and Logan tease fighting, but then they just start laughing and they attack Natalia, which greatly confused the announcers. Natalia goes for the sharpshooter on Logan. Ruby distracts and Logan lands a knee strike. Dana saves. And then Logan sends Brooke into the post to the corner. Natalia recovers, drops Logan, sharpshooter for the win at 426. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, you know, um, sorry, please finish the well, segment. After I just muted the commentary, I'm watching this match and I'm knowing that we got Lana and Billy Kay in the next qualifying match Tuesday night. Imagining one of those two and Liv Morgan or Dana Brooke in a ladder match was scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably not ready for it. Like, I would revoke the WWE's license yeah, Billy from K- running shows Billy- if you were that negligent by putting those performers in ladder matches. Yeah. Yeah. But thankfully, they chose the best option. Here. Well, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think the lineup looks pretty decent. I mean, Lana and Billy Kay. They're going to be the weakest one, whoever yeah. they put in. But, you know, Natalia looks solid here. She did a post-match interview here. She was interviewed by Charlie, and she asked Natalia about her experience being her greatest asset. And she agrees, it is a great asset. But I have Ronda Rousey as my training partner. And she's going to be Miss Money in the Bank. Well, I'll say, like, I think they've been doing a decent job of establishing Natalia as a babyface again. Uh, certainly in ring, she, she wrestles like a great babyface. But I thought in this interview here, she went a little bit overboard. You yes. know, she came across maybe a little too, mm, it's too obvious that she's going to turn. You know, she's hitting the Ronda thing a little too hard. So I would tell her to dial it back and maybe just play a bit more humble, like an actual baby face. Well, and that's where I could see uh, not just Stephanie being involved in the match. I could see Natalia as well. Yeah. Well, she could win the, the money in the bank and... Rhonda is is the CM Punk here. That how dare she get onto this pay per view mm-hmm. without paying her dues? Um, yeah. So I mean, having this Nia match for Rhonda, it does allow you to like. You can clearly see they are they are putting like stock here in this friendship angle with Rhonda and Natalia oh, posting you. the Instagram stuff. It's yes. they're trying to establish that these two are friends because. That turn would have been probably significantly quicker, um, if not in time for mm-hmm. for Money in the Bank. Elias performs in the ring. He takes credit for the stock surge <laughs> and how much it's increased 
trading at an all-time high because of him, because NBC Universal and everyone here knows that WWE stands for Walk with Elias. And he's singing, I love Elias, and that it feels good to be loved, but he doesn't feel the same way about any of you. And mentions all the places he was over the last week, Stonehenge, the Eiffel Tower, and now he's in a rundown city like Albany. And gets interrupted by Bobby Roode, who said, hey, I'm from Peterborough. I know plenty. (laughs) Elias attacked him as he entered the ring and beats down Bobby in the corner. And the referee is checking to see if Bobby wants to continue. And just once, I want to see the injured party be asked by the ref, do you still want to go ahead with this match? And the guy just looks at him and says, fuck no. (laughs) I've been injured here. I'm done. But instead, Bobby yelled, absolutely. And our match began. Do you realize that this is the rubber match between the two? I kind of do, yes. Oh, you're aware of this. Yeah, I've seen this three weeks in a row. Bobby threw his robe at Elias to gain the advantage. Elias is in control. He's wearing him down. He called him an idiot. And that prompted Bobby to make his comeback. Hit a spine buster. Called for the DDT, which Elias countered. And then there's a spinning neck breaker to Elias after missing a blockbuster. But he tweaks his knee. Gets crotched on the top, drift away, and Elias wins in 8.30. So either this feud is done, or we're getting a best of seven, given that it's playoff season. Mm. Yeah, you kid, but I mean, how did Cesaro and Sheamus come to be? Oh, God. Best well, yeah, of seven, right? That's what, that's what all rivals do. They become tag teams yes, on this show. Yes, yes. That said, I, I thought this was a good match. Maybe the best of the three that they've had, you know, uh, and maybe one of the best I've seen from Elias. I thought it was very hard hitting, pretty fast, and technically clean. Uh, and a hot crowd for it, too. So, it, you know, it kind of sucks, though, for the both both of them. Because Elias wins the feud, sure. But then, what happens to him as he walks to the back? Elias is walking up the ramp, triumphant, hearing his victory over Bobby Roode. When bronze music hits, and he comes out and just shoulder tackles Elias to death. Ugh. I mean, the... This was rather amusing. It was very amusing. Definitely questionable call after what you have just done here. But I mean, Elias just kind of goes back to being a punchline, and that's fine. But but Bo- Bobby Roode is the punchline exact, of the punchline. Exactly. What does it mean for Bobby Roode who, Roode who loses to that? Bobby Roode. Bobby lose. Oh man. Yeah. So it's the end of that feud. Uh, I'm not really sure where Bobby Roode goes from here, but I do think it's time to turn him heel. He's just so generic. As a he'd be piece. as a heel, I think he'd be a great opponent for Seth Rollins. Probably have to build up to that, though, don't you think? Yeah, I guess I, they have a month, sure. Yeah, Rollins. I'm not saying for uh, for money in the bank, but SummerSlam. an opponent down the yeah, road. Sure. sure. Next week, they announced Seth Rollins against Jinder Mahal for the Intercontinental title. And our last chance gauntlet match with Sasha, Sarah Logan, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, Mickey James, Bailey, and Dana Brooke. Okay, so it's, so all people who've already lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roman couldn't get a second crack, but okay. Liv Morgan will. All right. Yeah, great. We're no Sasha or Bailey on this show. Not unfortunate. Main event was Braun Strowman against Finn Balor. Strowman is beating him up and yells, You got pinned last week. As he kicks Finn in the ribs, sends him to the floor, Graves suggests that the XFL sign up Braun Strowman. It's all Strowman until Balor drops him on the apron and Braun then yanks out his leg. He does the spot where he runs around the ring, but instead of hitting the shoulder tackle, he gets hit with a sling blade. Yeah. And they tease the count out. I don't know if, if that's been countered before. 
the the running shoulder tackle? Yeah. No, he's always hit it. Yeah, so he's hit his target, Finn, Kevin Owens. Finn is the first one. Uh, Braun rises from behind Finn, behind the barricade. Yeah, they blocked this one. Oh like, yeah, to make it look like he was just rising. Finn from just the... had to keep his back towards him for yeah period of time. It was great. Uh, Balor hit a coup de gras off the barricade, and they're teasing the count out, but Braun makes it back in. I hated that. Like to me, I think a heroic underdog babyface should never try to win by count out. You know, like I think I thought that was weak characterization for Finn Balor. It shows cowardice to me. And instead, by Braun making it before the count of ten, it kind of showcases Braun's heart, not the underdogs. Well, it's Finn Balor, not Finn Balor. So Braun makes it back in. Balor goes to the top, but he's stopped by Braun. Balor escapes, goes off the ropes, is hit with a power slam, and then Braun lifts him up, hits a running power slam, and pins Finn in 10.32. Lifts up Finn, places him in the corner, and then he goes to the center and he roars. And this was explained to be a sign of respect by Braun. Yeah. And that was it. That is how the show ended. I like the match a lot. I mean, I thought it was, for me, the most interesting match of the night. Uh, the tag match was really good, too. But, you know, I thought for this one, I thought the people involved put together a pretty good match on paper. And I thought these two executed very well. You can debate about whether or not Valor needed to be put in this position at all. But I thought Finn was a strong enough underdog. They gave him enough in this match despite the loss. Uh, so... To me, the pecking order wasn't really disrupted at all here. It, 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 Braun was always going to win. Braun was ex expected to win. Finn put up a really good fight. So that was Raw. We had um, some qu really quite bad, a lot to this show. Some really bad stuff on this show. I think the Lashley segment is in great contention for, for being uh, worst of the year, maybe. I mean... Worst all time, maybe I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen the oh, rest. There, there have been but, worse segments. Uh, one of the like it certainly is this year's. Uh, this is your life uh, contender. Uh, I would say so. I to me the angles and promos overall on the show were all pretty bad. I thought the Ron Denai stuff was passable. Um, to me the wrestling overall ranged from quite good to quite passable as well. What do you think this forum had to say about Raw? I could imagine this one being very low. I see you included zero. Yeah, you can do that. Okay, well, that's good to know. I, I think this is going to be a three or under sh a raw. I'm going to guess 2.5. Wow, we're both going under three. A 2.37. Well, let's see what uh, everyone had to say here. Aaron writes in from Cincinnati. That Lashley segment was just horrendous. I am convinced that I need to watch Raw by myself with the door closed. Could you imagine if a non-wrestling fan decided to stop in during this segment? Wow. Top of the line cringe material right here, boys. Easily one of the most brutal segments in Raw's recent memory. Brandon from Oshawa. Just in case people aren't keeping track, Elias is leading Bobby Roode 3-1 to one in the best of seven series. Oh, it was oh. just the fourth match. Did they get it wrong on the broadcast? Because they did call it the rubber match. Okay, whatever. Seriously, though, why have these two needed more than one match, let alone four? Elias isn't even in the Money in the Bank match, so it's not like this feud is even building to that. And Spe Roode is. <laughs> Speaking of which, oh, he is. He is. Yeah, Rude's in Oh, it. my God. Speaking of which, how is he not in that match? Elias is constantly one of, if not the best thing about Raw. I'm close to saying that Elias may be one of the best to ever come out of NXT. He's not an indie darling. He's not someone we expected big things from when he got called up, but he always kills it. The company obviously has confidence in him. He gets fairly long segments week after week, and he's gotten some big moments to shine. So, what do you guys see as the future for Elias? 
Well, I mean, I don't think he's the type of character that you could make a world champion, unfortunately. Not with this current act. Not without a drastic makeover to make him more serious. And certainly not with the booking that they gave him at the end of the match tonight. Uh, I think he's a great mid-card act to me. I think they're very high on the guy. Uh, of the NXT call-ups, you have to categorize him as the the upper echelon, especially yep. when it goes from what you expected versus what has happened. I mean, he's... Yeah. I mean, he's not that far off from an Alexa Bliss who, when she was called up, I don't think anyone had aspirations she was going to be a, a focal point of that division. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at this guy being used at things like the um, at the investors' events and stuff where, you know, he's there to perform for them. I think they're very high on this character. So the idea of him getting that that main event push where so many guys get that turn, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh when you see how far in they went with a Jinder Mahal, that if they felt the need to go with Elias, wouldn't stun me. But I think he's going to be largely in this place where they're going to keep him at a respectable level, if not go even further with him at some point. Yeah, I mean, I I, I just see his entering style kind of holding him back from a lot of that top tier stuff. Um, I also think that he he essentially is a babyface right now. He just happens to turn the crowd on him uh, in the middle of every song. I think that would be the death of him, would be turning him. Well, they're already in love with him. They and like the him, but I I think that once you have him mm-hmm. it's, working it's, to the audience... It's the Cena, you know, rap thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where people love the, the heel raps, and there's a way to do it, but we'll see. Uh, I th- but there's a lot of potential, though. Sean from Toronto, it's been less than five days since I got a ticket for my first Toronto Raw in eight years, and this week's episode really made me start to regret that decision. The segment between Lashley's sisters was way worse than I was fearing it would be, and and shame for WWE for having men in drag in a comedy segment in 2018, since it can be interpreted as transphobic. I personally was so offended that I outright turned off my TV and was prepared to keep it off for the rest of the night. Cooler heads prevail, and I ended up turning the TV back on after a few minutes to see Lashley celebrating in the ring. I really hope WWE enjoys counting their rights fees as their hardcore base gets their patience increasingly tested. Mark from Vaughn, question one. With all the money being injected into the WWE from their next TV deals, can you think of any ways they could use some of it to improve the product or company? (laughs) Um, There are probably a lot of ways money can help improve product or company. Everything we complained about on this show... uh, they can reverse. I guess they can always hire better writers. Um. The the only way you're going to see a drastic change in philosophy is if you had a USA Network or Fox who comes and says, "We're we want to see a higher audience. We want we're paying all this. We want to see an increase, not a decrease. Make a better show." And I think they're they're paying for what what is being delivered now. And mm-hmm. as long as you have I mean, it it begins and ends with Vince McMahon and whatever creative you enjoy or dislike, it it comes down to the ultimate editor on the show. And that's that's his vision. And that's that's not going to be changing. Question two. Do you think we'll see a shift in how the product is presented since TV is such a huge revenue stream now? It feels like the top matches should go there rather than the network specials outside of the big five. We kind of talked about that earlier, didn't we? Yeah, again, like you're being paid for this weekly television. It's not as though... You know, you put your pay-per-view as your TV, all you're doing is taking away from from the network. You're being paid this regardless of whether it's a run-of-the-mill Raw, whether it's a really special edition of Raw. They're being paid to maintain their 
ratings. You're not incentivized. You're not being, hey, hit 5 million viewers and you're going to hit this threshold uh, of a bonus. You're, mm, it's, they, they are in indirectly with when the next deal comes up. Of course. But again, I mean, where is... Where's the television landscape going to be in five years? Very hard to say. Maybe doing three million viewers a week is going to be worth even more in five years because mm-hmm. it's going to be so much more fragmented. It's impossible to guess. But to me, one week, you know, doing a pay-per-view on TV instead of on the network for one week really makes no difference in the grand scheme of things. Do you think we see more big matches, though, you know, throughout the the course of the month? I TV? think when WWE, whenever they start something new it's always the big priority that I think that you will see them try to over deliver at the beginning before Mm -hmm. it finds its usual pattern to it. Yeah. But they are still very much incentivized to make money and you can make more money by driving people to the network. And I don't see that changing their, the way they structure their shows. Like imagine, imagine raw at the moment with no Brock Lesnar. And if money in the bank wasn't there to be building things towards, I think it makes for a much more skippable show, to be honest. Like, Mm -hmm. what is week number two uh, of 18 weeks before your next big event? Like, what is that? Or are you just even even building to monthly Raws that are big deals? I think you can build to certain events on television. There's nothing preventing you from doing that now. Um, But certainly, I I think that you want to uh, be delivering big things, especially on Fox. Like, Fox, you need to be hitting a certain... Like the, the level for what Fox will expect in prime time is going to be higher than what the USA Network is expecting. Uh, Jalen from Pickering, I commend Zane for trying his damnedest to make that segment entertaining. The segment was the beginning of the end for this show. That contract signing was painful unless Stephanie was speaking. And after highlighting the inexperience of Rhonda and the inexperience of her friend Natty, it basically is a guarantee that Natty is going to cash in or cost her the match. Will the WWE getting these big offers hurt the show creatively? No incentive to do better or change when you're getting offered mountains of money for mediocrity. We got a stew from Sea Town, Australia. Well, do, you, do you feel that this show is going? Do you feel that there is going to be a lull in the creative? Do you feel that they will be on autopilot? I I don't think so. I mean, I think they are probably very much aware of these types of criticisms, and I think they have people to impress now. Probably, uh, you know, uh, with far more at stake. Uh, and like we said, like Fox does have the right to move them to FS or cancel them, don't they? Ultimately, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so there's there's a huge incentive to uh, maintain your audience. Listen, like second second is so as well. These performers are, like, whatever you think of the product, these performers are They're extremely talented. Of course, yeah. Like, you're not going to see people going out well, there and, and bagging segments. Exactly. We're not... And, and even beyond the, the wrestlers, I mean, the writers, everybody wants to do the best job they can do of in course. order to like keep you, a job, right? So I Also, don't... like, the people that... You know, structure this like the writing staff, the talent. I mean, they're not the ones that are making these oh. millions of dollars either. Right. But every, this is their job. But, this is their vocation. Exactly. But regardless of whether or not that they are, you know, seeing a, a cent of this new deal, everybody's going to continue doing their best. I guess the question is, you know, does Vince have as much incentive to, uh, you know, listen to the audience anymore? I, I would still say so because the ratings still ultimately matter. To a degree. Yeah. Okay, we go to a stew from Australia. After a big weekend away on a Bucks party, I took a few days off work and was able to catch Raw Live for the first time in a long while. I probably would have rather been at work. 
The most more more talented performers have little to no storyline, so I don't really get invested in their matches. And the less talented performers have convoluted and ultimately boring stories. And because they're less talented, I don't care about their matches either. Back to watching recorded Ross for me, and back to blessed fast forward button. Darcy and Shira from Toronto tandem here. It's quite smart to pair the overly popular Seth Rollins with the walking, talking, toxic waste that's Roman Reigns whenever possible, and tonight seemed to keep to help keep the boo birds off the big dog. But is WWE management running the risk of fans going the other way and transferring their dis- detestment of Roman onto the, his shield cohort? Is it really worth the risk taking a good thing in the architect and his ultra-successful intercontinental title run and ruining all in the name of trying to get constantly plagued Reigns somewhat over with the crowd? It didn't hurt him today. No, it didn't. It helped, oh, if yeah. anything. And that, and that was the it, a real boost last year when they did that Shield reunion. It didn't help Reigns either. I mean, I guess it prevented the segment from being a complete failure, but it's not like the crowd's suddenly going to chant Reigns now. They're still going to boo Reigns just as hard next week. So I would say it doesn't really affect either man. We go to Jay from Colorado. About halfway through the last Lee segment, I began to realize my biggest problem in life is a lack of self-love. My therapist was right this whole time. At least the main event wasn't horrible and, and the Brizongo CarMax commercial was pretty good. But good God, I need to get help. I think I may, may need to start learning a trade while Raw is on. God knows I can't stop watching for some reason. <laughs> Chris from Melbourne, Australia. After seeing a lot of talk about the Lashley Sisters segment online, it, I let my curiosity get the better of me and watched it on YouTube. So let me just say if I've got this right. Bobby Lashley, a babyface, wanted to prove Sami Zayn a heel and his sister's statements about him being a bully were false by beating up women. I'm sorry, we've all had to watch that, but if WWE want to clean a clean sweep of the worst of awards, then they're going the right way about it. Worst pay-per-view, Backlash. Worst angle, Lashley Sisters. Worst announcer, Coachman. WTF moment of the year. WWE taking oil money to exclude women while also promoting a women's evolution. I think I think almost forgotten in all that is that, yes, this is also the year where they have the Vision 2030 deal. So on top of everything that they're getting, like... Which we don't year. know the value of, but I mean, it... Like this SmackDown deal, like it dwarfs whatever they're being paid in Saudi Arabia. But you're right. You throw that into all of this. Um, this is an enormous year for this company. Mm-hmm. Sorry, there's a lot of feedback, so we're going to have to skip some of you guys. But we'll talk about uh, Matthew here, who says, I was there live. Oh, wow. Maybe Raw is better to watch without commentary, because besides the Zayn and Lashley thing, I enjoyed it. The crowd was into everything except that segment, and the matches were solid. One thing that I found funny was a lady who asked me who Jinder Mahal was during the first match. She knew Reigns and Rollins and loved Reigns, but not Jinder. I told her she said, well, he's a nobody to me. And then I told her that he was a WWE champion last year, and she did not believe me. Chris from Florida. I'm done. I couldn't even make it through this show. And you know what really did it for me, to be honest? The terrible commentary. I mean, this nonsense with Coach and Graves is just unbearable. I feel for you guys for having to review this shit, but I'm glad you do because I look forward to it every week. So I guess time being, I'm done with Raw, but not done with Rewind or Raw. I will say that the Rousey segment this week was much better. I think with her, the less they give her to talk about, the better. She has tons of physical charisma that can carry her in segments as long as she doesn't have to memorize a ton of lines. Like, is it just me, or have I heard a record number of people saying that they're done with wrestling? They're throwing in the towel over this past week. Well, well, one person with feedback, they tuned out briefly, but returned. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I would say, like... Either it was like maybe ever since Backlash, we've been or maybe even from the Saudi Arabia show, like we've been (laughs) 
I guess I guess even for Mania, it feels like we've been on a decline. And like I've just heard over the past week, more and more people saying that they're they're completely done with wrestling. And I, I will I would say that they, they're certainly like creatively, it's pretty uninspired at the moment, at least from you know my viewing. But I don't feel it's like all time worst. Me neither. <laughs> like, like, like maybe it's me like having to watch like some nineties and you know really bad WCW from time to time, but. This There's is nowhere worse. near WCW 2000. Yeah. Nowhere near. Uh, is it that bad? No. Brian and Nate know. have a way worse yeah. Uh, occupation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, new Keep It that 2000 coming out this week. Yes. Uh, so, before we get out of here, shall we? Oh, please. Wait. Save this. Shall we get into... Everyone's waited for it. This is the main event segment. The brand new season of Total Bellas. I'm excited. Season 3 here. Did you catch any of it? Or, or what do you plan to catch any you know what i sat down monday night before raw to try and watch some of it i got up until nikki and john were on the pier <laughs> that, that was like two minutes in that was it <laughs> that's all i got up to well uh fear not because i will catch everybody up total bella season three this airs sunday nights at nine o'clock on the e network if you do get it either in uh, north america uh, uh, the u.s or canada so since last time we get an update on what the bellas have been up to john cena has been doing movies. He's become very popular. Nikki said he's literally on fire. <laughs> I don't know if uh, that should be of concern, I guess. Okay, Brian is getting ready for his comeback. At this point in time, he hasn't been cleared yet officially, but he is uh, aiming to be. So he is training. He is looking to go to doctors and you know probably doing a, a bunch of his testing. Birdie, Brian Brian's daughter, is seven months old wow. at this point. So, uh, and also, of course, at this very moment in the show, Nikki Bella is planning her wedding with John Cena. Oh, perfect. Yes, yes. Life couldn't be better. Right now, life is pretty damn good for the Bellas. So we start off with the scene that just said, where John said, I'm done. (laughs) And that was Nikki and John Cena at some pier. And in fact, this was the same pier that they were on in a previous season uh, I don't even remember that scene, but it, it was, I guess, significant enough where at that time, Nikki thought Cena was going to propose to her, but in fact, he did not. So this time they are going back to that same pier as an engaged couple and Cena does a mock proposal just to kind of, you know, and you put right. all the emotion into it that you would imagine someone that is being dragged <laughs> to do this scene over again. And that's all I made it through. I just, I mean, that's, to me, that's John Cena, dude. Like, they talk about their first dance uh, at the wedding, and then they practice a waltz, and uh, just basically very happy couple things. Nicole talks about how she's looking forward to changing her name to Cena, and then Cena spends... Uh, Nikki Cena. Cena asks if she's afraid of people making Cena puns, and so... I'm, I'm sorry you skipped. Oh, no, I missed a pun missed, segment. Yeah, I'm sorry you missed this, John, because Cena then proceeds to look at some strangers in the in the, in the the background. And he says to them, hey, I can't find Nicole. Have you seen her? <laughs> That's not good. Yeah. Uh, was that the only one? That was it. That was it. Yeah, That's that, the whole reason that, he that, thought she might not want to take his that, last name. That was his best material. Unfortunately, a whole lifetime, and I guess that's what what the worst that he's had. So he doesn't know what it's like. Maybe to be he me. should take her last name. Yeah, sure. But it would be John Garcia Coles. Coles, yeah. You know what I find really interesting is that like their announcement of the breakup in the public prior to this season's debut kind of makes it 
all of this stuff seem like it's foreshadowing. You know, it's kind of like in the movies, whenever a major character like talks about, you know, uh, having kids in the first act. Oh, I can't wait for the day we get married and have kids. You know, some shit's about to go down. So that's how it feels. To Not me. to sidetrack. Do we know the mother of the Bellas? Is, is Colas the the their father's name or Colas is her name, I believe. Garcia, I think, is her father's name. So Colas is the mother's maiden yeah, name. I believe so, yes. So had she had her husband take her name, you would have Johnny Colace. Yeah, I guess so. He could have literally got Ace into his last name. <laughs> I guess, yes. He would have had a legit Johnny Ace out of all this. Well, yeah, I'm not as amazed by that as I think. Isn't you that might amazing? Be, no, not, I don't know. All right, keep keep going. <laughs> I'm just I'm taking away from your review. Okay, so we get an update on Bree and Brian. Uh, so right now, uh, for this season, last season, of course, everybody moved into John Cena's house, uh, and this was, of course, to take. Or actually, that was the first season. Everybody moved into John Cena's house in order to take care of Nicole as she was getting through her neck injury. This season, everybody's decided to move to San Diego. And not to necessarily take care of anybody, but, you know, just for the family to be together. And I think um, Cena and Nikki are there. Uh, 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 Bree and Brian have moved there temporarily to take care of business, basically. But not in the same house. Not in the same house this year. Uh, we're told that Bree wants to get back into wrestling. And she is trying to make an effort to both be in mo- a mother and a career woman. She has to run, you know, Birdie B, their clothing line. The Bellas also have a wine uh, that they uh, take care of. And on top of that, being a mother. So these are all things that Brie Bella is attempting to juggle at this moment. Uh, we learn that Birdie is very close to saying her, her first words. She's saying Baba right now, which is just, she is adorable. The, this this seven-year-old. She's got, like, she looks like a Cabbage Patch Kid, basically. Uh, and she is very adorable. How, like, has has Max started speaking? Yeah, he makes he he says uh, some words. What, what what how 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 old typically like would a child speak their first words? Oh, probably around that that time. Seven to seven 12. seven months onward. Right. Yeah, they'll start making sounds. Right. So anyway, so the entire family is here in John Cena's new place, and that of course is Brie Bella, Daniel Bryan, Nikki Bella, John Cena. Kathy Coles and Johnny Johnny Coles, John Laurinaitis, JJ JJ's wife, who I forget the name of right now, and uh, JJ's daughter, who's also a, a, an infant. Her name's Vivian. Okay, so two two babies in the house. Cena, God, this was the. <laughs> I wish you saw this part because Cena. <laughs> so a new rug comes into the house. Oh, God, <laughs> this is the first episode. I just uh, a new, best shit. No, no, no. A new rug comes into the house. I'm. I, he and Nicole then start having this jokey interaction about rugs. <laughs> and Cena takes on the persona of Rugman. <laughs> what? And he just like proceeds to try to crack jokes about rugs. And it's just, to me, it just goes to show that all the bad Cena humor we've seen over the years is very likely coming directly from this man. Because this dude, I find him so irritating when he's trying to be funny he's just not funny at all yet like nikki bella is clearly very much in love because she laughs at everything like this dude is like you know uh chris rock john cena rug man uh brie and bella brie and uh, brian arrive and uh they you know you can immediately see that like they're very concerned 
about whether or not they should be taking their shoes off because in the past uh, they seem scarred from like Cena's rules. Cena sees that their shoes are off and Cena tells them, hey, this time I'm different. You know, shoes are allowed now. Everything's oh, cool. Nicole says Cena has changed, but Brie doesn't believe it. So, uh, you know, uh, further on in the show, Brie continues. We get to see Nicole's interaction with uh, Brie's child. And her relationship with her child, you know, it, it, Nicole says it's a love that she never thought she could have. And it begins to introduce doubt into Nicole's mind about whether or not she could actually give up motherhood, seeing, you know, Brie with her own child. Um, so we get a Birdie B photo shoot, and this was a lingerie photo shoot for uh, Nikki and Bree's company. So uh, Bree says she's incredibly nervous about the photo shoot because she's still carrying on 10 pounds of baby weight and uh, says that there's no way she's showing, showing her stomach. And I'm thinking, you know, if you're Bree, it must especially suck because you have a twin who is in your former shape. And by being in photos together, you're essentially putting yourself in a before and after scenario oh, wow. in every photo that you're taking. So it must really suck for Brie. But I mean, if you look at these photos, I think Brie looks great. Like there's really, you wouldn't think there was anything off at all. But then Brie looks at the photos and she's like, Jesus, I look like I could eat you. So <laughs> Nicole says that? No, Brie says, oh, that, Brie says that about herself. Oh, So that's life as a model for you. Um, Maybe she should take it up with their bosses who made them do this photo shoot. They're their bosses. I know that. Oh. <laughs> like This is kind of self-imposed. Well, anyway, uh, so Bree and Brian, you know, have... Uh, Bree's been out of town doing these photo shoots, and Brian is at the house taking care of Birdie. Brian has been uh, doing things with Birdie. Uh, and and th on this particular day, Brian took Birdie to her first carousel. I don't know if this is a big moment for, for families at all, but Brie was really disappointed because she wanted to be there for a moment like this. And she wishes that Brian would have waited for her to be there. Go on the carousel? To go on a carousel. Uh, and then Brian argues, hey, Brie, you do stuff with, with Birdie all the time when I'm not around. And Brie says that's because Brian is on the road two days a week being the general manager of SmackDown. But Brian says, well, if I'm away for work... That means you are away for work, and that means I should have a right to do stuff I want with my own daughter as well. Ten nine, Daniel. So it was. I thought it was a great glimpse of like kind of the struggle that probably a lot of wrestlers and other you know traveling performers probably go through. Um, anyway, so the twins are now in Napa Valley to I guess get an update on their wine uh, business. They they engage in they engage in a discussion about who knows more words, and uh, Nikki brings up the word. Anomaly, to which uh, Brie has absolutely no idea. She's never heard of the, wor the word before. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would say these two are honestly not very good representatives of female intelligence. I think the show almost, like, likes to emphasize their ditziness, like 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 they do with, like, the Paris Hilton shows or, or even the Kardashian sh Dashian shows. Uh, so we have the wine meeting where they're meeting up with, with, the, with their business partners. And Nikki announces to the wine partners that she is planning her wedding in West Newberry. Bree is really unhappy to hear this because it means that Nicole is sacrificing another thing in this relationship she's having with John. Because Bree knows that Nicole has always dreamt about having a wedding in Napa Valley. And Bree feels that Nicole is basically giving too, up too much of herself in order to satisfy John. So, again, further introducing the tension here 
was going to say that Nicole getting her way when it comes to decision making, that's quite the anomaly, I guess, in that relationship. <laughs> well, it's funny because so they're all in this at this meeting with the wine partners and Nicole, like in conversation, I think starts name dropping Dancing with the Stars again. And I guess this is something she's always done because Brie tells her to stop doing that. And then Brie follows up saying, that's going to be an anomaly where it's not allowed anymore. <laughs> and everybody at the table is like, what? <laughs> and one of the guys has to explain to her what an anomaly means again. So I thought it was really funny. Uh, is this show an hour? Yeah. Are you okay with that? I'm just... It's incredible. So we uh, are brought back to Daniel Bryan. And throughout this course of this, uh, uh, I guess, a business meeting in Napa Valley, Bryan has taken Birdie out for her first swim. And we see, you know, the whole family's out there. And in order to make up for it this time, because Bree isn't there, Bryan decides to get Kathy, the mom, to film it on a, on a handy cam. The problem is... Kathy is a terrible camera operator. Oh, boy. So she's pointing the camera at the floor. She's not even looking at the screen. And they cut the cam- Kathy's camera on the broadcast, and it's just all over the place. Back in Napa Valley, uh, they walk through a vineyard, and Nicole sees how beautiful this, this vineyard is. And now she has some serious doubts about what she's missing out by having the wedding in West Newberry. So, you know, Bree continues to tell her to reconsider about what you're giving up when you're doing this whole thing with John. And Nicole argues, I've come so far with John. He's, you know, I don't want to give John any reason to back out of this marriage. And what an awful relationship. So anyway, so Nicole says, think of Carrie and Big. Big never showed up. Like, <laughs> think of Carrie and Big. Like, I had to dig deep in my in my mental pop culture Rolodex to, in oh, order to God. get that reference. I saw that movie. <laughs> but I've got it. Yes. She was talking about Sex in the City. And like fictitious people, is she? Who she's talking about? To, to counter, I love that John to counter this ar- to counter this argument. Anyway, and Bree's response was like, "Well, yeah, that's a good point." Do we ever hear like John's side of here, like why he wants? Like I, I know like his family's all there, but what an awful place to get I, married. In. I don't exactly know. Like in fact, John at the beginning of the episode says, "You know, are you sure you want to do this?" And Nicole says, "Yeah, it's because like she." Nicole feels like her family is more likely to travel than John's family. I think I think that's that's the reason. I don't know. I don't. They didn't completely explain. Uh, and then they engage in like a lipstick smearing fight. <laughs> wow, <laughs> which was the first for me. An hour. Yeah. Lipstick so, smearing fight. Yeah, I guess it's like the equivalent equivalent of men like hitting each other in the groin. It's like two women trying to smear each other's. Lipstick. Gotcha. All right, so uh, they they're they're sitting down for dinner. Bree and Nikki are uh, they're a little tipsy. They engage in some talk about their periods and sex. Uh, Bree, <laughs> this is after the lipstick smearing. Yes, Bree reveals that she hasn't had her period since giving birth. I know this is the part my audience really wants to know. About no, no, most. no. It's Nicole says, "Well, that's probably because you haven't been having sex." And Bree reveals that in fact she and Brian actually have been having sex now, and. Could have been a lot easier to work in the anomaly into this discussion. Oh, yes. Well, uh, she'll have some other zingers at the end of this. Brie goes on to talk about how it's bullshit that Nicole has to hold back her feelings from John so much. And Nicole says, well, isn't that what wives are supposed to do? Oh, boy. (laughs) Jesus Christ. And Brie says, I think what what is on most people's minds, she never holds back from Brian ever. 
And uh, it really kind of brings to light, you know, what Nicole's mentality is in this relationship with John. So Bree says Nicole has sacrificed way too much for John. And Nicole says, well, John has sacrificed too. He said he wouldn't get married and now he is. <laughs> and Bree says, what a hero. And Bree says, oh, boo hoo. He's lucky he's getting married to you. And I'm like, fuck yeah. Brie, you tell her. Like, this was the promo of Brie Bella's career right Oh, wow. Here. Telling, like, her sister to fucking wake up and, and realize what type of relationship she's in. So, Brie threatens to talk to John about this if Nicole doesn't. And Nicole says if Brie did that, she will no longer be her maid of honor. Whoa! <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. And then, like, Nicole says Brie, ever since she's become a mom... You've turned into a nagging bitch. Whoa! Jesus Christ! And Brie comes back saying... Where were these promos when they had that feud a few years ago? Mm, they didn't have the story yet. So Brie comes back saying, I just feel you're really being acrimonious right now. <laughs> <laughs> and Nicole says, nice try. Uh, but I'm feeling so much angst. And, and Brie's like, do you even know what angst means? And Nicole's like... Oh, do I know what angst means? Well, it would behoove you to shut the fuck up. Whoa! So, anyway, playing off of their wordplay here. That's great. I thought was, that, that was a tremendous callback. This call was back. a fucking great scene. And yeah, like a very tense moment that I think brought back, uh, you know, the, the big issues of, of this season up to light and managed to end with a comical callback. So I like this a lot. It, Did this end with tension or with just more common cheek? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it was tense and then it, they calmed down because of the joking. But back in the car now, uh, now that they're even a little, little bit more tipsy, they have another conversation. Oh, yeah, they're drunk. Bree is on FaceTime with Brian saying goodnight to Birdie. And Nicole says, you know, Birdie is so cute. And Bree pries further, asks, does it give you baby fever, Nicole? And Nicole tells her, well, I was 100% into not being a mom. I was 100% okay with, with not being a mom. But then Birdie came along and it made me reconsider everything. So Nicole admits that, you know, in this time since they've been engaged, she has again brought up having kids to John uh, off screen. And John said, absolutely not. So Brie asks if Nicole is upset that she will never be a mother. And Nicole, at this point, a little bit drunk, says, yeah, but what am I going to do? So Brie is just there, like, not only opening up Nicole's wound, but wrenching that knife in. And it's not malicious at all. Like, to me, it comes across like Brie is just looking out for her twin sister and making sure that, you know, she is in a healthy relationship. So, uh, it, this, all, this also was just a really nice scene. The point is, though, Brie at this point, throughout the course of the episode, she has had enough and she wants John to either change or to have Nicole break up with him. So, Brie uh, reveals, or Brie at this point learns that Brian... Uh, took Birdie up for swimming lessons and Bree's further up, m more upset now. She watches, like Brian's like, but it's okay, I caught it all on video. And Bree watches the video and her mom's video is just really bad. So she says uh, it makes her heart even more seeing the footage. And she realizes that, you know, she wanted to be Wonder Woman, but she realized that Wonder Woman never had kids. So it's making her reconsider being able to do everything. Uh, we have family dinner at John's house. Uh, where there are more relaxed rules now, and uh, they're so relaxed that... Dude, if you were just describing this show to me, and I've, I have no context of these characters, John Cena sounds like the worst person. He is heel John Cena in this show. We went to yeah. John's house for dinner 
where the rules are relaxed now yeah. at Emperor Cena's kingdom. <laughs> I think I, I think there's no better way to experience that than through the eyes of somebody like Daniel Bryan, who like could not be the the bigger opposite of John Cena. So Bryan like has to change Birdie's diapers, and the whole time like Cena is in this like nice suit, and like Bryan's like, "Hey, uh, John, um, where where should I throw uh, the diapers?" And Cena's just like, "Uh, I would like them in the trash outside if possible." <laughs> This concludes my human interaction. So they toast. <laughs> this either had to have been staged. If not, like, I I don't even give a shit. Okay, so they toast. <laughs> Brian spills his glass of water all over John Cena, head of the table. The whole table stops what they're doing. Everybody looks terrified. <laughs> like, this is like a peasant spilling water on the king. Everybody here is in fear of this man. Backhands, Brian in the face. And this is Daniel Bryan, you know, who's afraid of this. Tiny Tim. Uh, so then Cena's like, it's okay, it's okay, it's just water. And Cena explains now how, you know, the first time they were in his house, uh, I had a lot of rules. But you know what? This is all just about us being a family together. So now the rules are relaxed. You can wear shoes indoors. You can even spill drinks. <laughs> Thanks. The cutaways to Daniel Bryan are just the best because he is so like incredibly uncomfortable and out of place in a setting like this. Like it really could be the start of a new program between the two if they wanted. So Cena at this point is directing conversation. Like it's 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 very forced. Like it feels like a podcast that he's hosting. So he's trying to talk to everybody. He asked Brian's he asked Brian about his return and. Uh, Cena is encouraging Brian continuing to try to get clear. Uh, Cena asked Brie about her comeback as well. And Brie says, if my schedule allows it, I will reconsider it. But my daughter comes first. He asked Lauren, JJ's wife, about their daughter and what it means to be a mother. And then the conversation somehow turns back towards Nikki. And the spotlight, again, is kind of put on her as the only woman at the table who is not a mother. So at this point, we get a confessional cutaway to Nicole, who... You know, who says, what a lot of people don't know about me is that I spend a lot of time alone. She says she estimates that she and John have probably only spent about 40 nights together in the six months since they've been engaged. So she says hearing all of these stories of her families, starting families, is further kind of emphasizing how lonely she already feels and how lonely she thinks she will feel in the future as everybody moves on from, you know, from Dude, her. this is depressing as hell. So that's where we're at right now. Uh, you know, Brie is worried about her sister committing herself to an unbalanced relationship. At the same time, she's trying to juggle a comeback and a career as a businesswoman while trying to be a mother. And Nicole, despite receiving her dream of being proposed to her by her dream man, is now seriously starting to have some doubts about whether or not she really wants it, whether or not she could really give up motherhood. So um, I thought this was a wonderful first episode of this show this season. I thought it did a great job of throwing events at the lead character, Nicole, N Nikki Bella, in order to influence growth on her character. Uh, and, and it did so like using scenes that at first watch, like feel completely fluffy and superfluous, but they all kind of always relate back to the main topic at hand here. And that being motherhood, 
throughout this show and and i guess sacrifice like just like the avengers so i love the fact that like brie and nicole kind of they both took central center stage here like in previous seasons it would sometimes seem like brian or some of the other characters were the main characters but here this was undoubtedly a show about nicole and brie bella and i think the two of them are, are very fascinating characters especially nikki bella on this season yes with the backdrop of lord emperor cena yeah cena is just like again this is heel john cena well People wanted their turn. They get it on this show, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Well, tremendous review, way. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, so uh, this was uh, first episode. In the future, if these shows end up maybe going a little long, we might just throw this on the Patreon, either on the Sunday or the Monday. Yeah, as you can see, this is a very uh, lengthy show already. Um, Tuesday, uh, I will go over the uh, the first three shows of the Best of the Super Juniors with some highlights uh, because we are running late. And I actually haven't seen all of the show from Sunday that was up. Uh, so we'll talk a bit about that. Uh, there have been some standout matches worth uh, worth checking out, especially the Dragon Lee Show Tanaka match from the second day, which was very, very solid. Uh, but quickly, uh, coming up this week, Way and I will be back Tuesday night with Rewind to SmackDown. As we mentioned, Wednesday night, new Keep It 2000 with Brian Mann and Nate Milton. They're reviewing the July 31st episode of Monday Nitro from the year 2000. Thursday, we've got Up Next with Braden and uh, Davey Portman. And then Friday, it is our return of Rewind Away, where Way and I are reviewing ROH Global Wars 2014, headlined by Adam Cole and Kevin Steen wow. for the ROH title. Any other names you know of? On the show yet? Oh, yes. Right uh, Cedric Alexander versus Roderick Strong. Wow. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Jushin Thunder Liger against Shinsuke Nakamura and Jado is on the show. We've I, also got... I mean, when you look at this roster incredible. up and down... Yeah. Oh, it was quite the show. AJ Styles and Carl Anderson are teaming up like against like a, Kazuchika Okada and like, Ghetto. It's like the best of... The, the 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 professional wrestling world right now. Tommaso Ciampa on the card. That that's amazing. Wow. So that is all coming up on uh, Global Wars. It's on uh, Honor Club. This one. Honor Club. Yeah, yes. you can watch it. Uh, go to the link that we have posted. You will not find this show without that link. <laughs> I we will have a mini review of Honor Club itself okay. on Friday. Uh, but you can go sign up postwrestlingcafe.com. You'll get that bonus show coming out on Friday. Uh, so that is it. We'll be back Tuesday night chatting SmackDown and whatever else is going on in the world of wrestling.